why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, another filmmaker, Teddy Cecil, born and raised in New York. Is that New York City? Um, I was born in uh, New York City, and then I grew up in Westchester. I went to school in the Maronite. Oh, sure. I know both places very well. Okay, then. Well, first of all, since we've got Teddy talking, why don't we welcome him to the show? Welcome director-writer Teddy Cecil to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. And as I was saying, Teddy Cecil... um, after completing his film studies at the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, relocated to Los Angeles in 2009. Are you calling from L.A., by the way, Teddy? I am. All I right. certainly am. Well, I appreciate that. And let's, let's t- well, I guess we should say we're talking about um, Helio. Helio is... What is what the press release says, Teddy Cecil's first sincere foray into writing, directing, and producing his own material. I'd like you to comment on that. Is it the first time you're wearing the three hats, or tell I mean, us? Yeah, as, uh, as a, you know, I have basically since college, and uh, the first time I've done it really on one of my you know, I've kind of produced and directed and stuff like that. Gotcha. And uh, never really my own project and not really so much narrative. You know, more just to kind of get the bills paid and get experience. So this is really my first foray kind of creatively into doing something that really, you know, I felt like was better than my own and, uh, you know, our companies. So that was pretty exciting, yeah. All right. And... We should say Helio premiered in San Diego at the Comic Con, which is an independent film festival in July. So you just did this, July 2016. Yes, we just played there. Um, and that was awesome. It was the first time I ever got to go to Comic Con, uh-huh. um, which was it really, you know, it's really exciting. Yes. Uh, maybe not a place for somebody who uh, has a fear of large crowds. But. Uh, other than that, uh, <laughs> it's really, it, yeah, it was an exciting experience. It's a good crowd for the film, you know. Uh, yes. Very much a genre 
Ray Dalio is uh, it's a sci-fi, very sci-fi. Uh-huh. So uh, there was definitely a community there that uh, kind of liked that material, which gave us a good start. I, I was going to say, what what kind of feedback? Because that seems like a really good place, certainly the crowd, to appreciate what Helio is all about. Did you, any major contacts come out of that? Any uh, feedback you want to share? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it was actually, uh, and for us, it was a you know, really uh, good experience for us. Um, we, did, we were uh, fortunate enough to take home the Best Sci-Fi Award. Not bad at all. For Sci-Fi Fantasy, yeah. So that was um, really exciting, especially from a place that kind of more specializes in it. So the feedback there has been kind of very positive. And one of the main judges, he's the editor-in-chief of Rotten Tomatoes, and he had a lot of very nice things to say. Um, I think we're going to try and put out uh, a little quote from him. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's tricky because also everybody, there's so much going on there that, you know, hard to sometimes get people to just care about, you know, your movie when all these big super movies are kind of having little snippets there, and that's kind of a lot of why people go there, too. But for our film, uh, yeah, you know, the response has been pretty good, I was going to, fortunately. I, I was going to say, I, you didn't get lost in the crowd from what I hear, yeah. <laughs> you know? There's been a lot of positive feedback and, and response uh, since then. And I guess it's safe to say that Helio is a kind of new hell or a different take on hell. Is that going too far? What do you think? No, actually. Um, it's actually, in a way, it's a retelling of uh, Dante's allegory of the Yes. It's uh, very much a reimagining of it in kind of a somewhat literal environment. But even beyond that, it's actually also very much inspired by, um, I'm sorry, Plato's house where the cave, and it's very much also inspired by Dante's Inferno. Uh-huh. And so that's where kind of a lot of the elements of hell come from. And if you watch the film, it takes place uh, underground in this kind of post-apocalyptic future yes. where uh, people are forced to mine to sustain the energy of their environment, and they're basically paid off with light because they live underground. And, uh, you know, they get other things too, obviously, but uh, it's a very much a different environment. And somebody kind of is given the opportunity to question it, ultimately leads to the sort of uprising of the community and he's forced to try and escape. So there's a lot of things there. There's very little dialogue. Uh, it's very much action-oriented and visual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of kind of music to keep it going to. But, but yeah, so there's a lot of kind of themes and uh, elements that we put in there, but it's not necessarily uh, the focus in a narrative sense. It's definitely not literally hell, but in a way, it very much is hell for uh, the guys that are there. I gotcha. And and just in case it went by too fast for all of us to grasp that, there is a society underground forced to live there and to mine, as in be miners, and they are paid, are you ready for it? Their compensation primarily, although not exclusively, as Teddy said, but primarily their compensation is light, as in electricity, as in turning a switch and getting light. We, we hear so much about the scarcity of things, but can you imagine if light was of such a commodity that you would be a slave laborer 
just so you could stand next to a lamp for a bit. And my, again, I don't want to oversimplify, and I'm trying not to tell too much, but uh, uh, what do you say to that, Teddy? Yeah, I think that's a great description. Mm. Um, and, yeah, you know, and it's, it's something that people really have to do. Like, if you live in a darker environment yes. and stuff like that, you can get affected by seasonal affective disorder and uh, things of that nature. In fact, you know, it's funny, it's, uh, me and a lot of the guys who work for the film joke, because... It, it, it took our two and a half years to make the film, and at one point, uh, I really wasn't seeing daylight myself. Yes. A combination of, you know, having to work a lot of nights, but also work inside at a computer. It's a lot of visual effects. Yes. Um, and so I was kind of, there was a Feeling small it. visual effect scene, <laughs> but yeah, we had to do a lot of work on the computer, and uh, by the end of the shoot, I actually developed rickets because I had such little vitamin D myself. So that oh my is goodness. a kind of... Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Luckily, I, you know, I'm fine. At but uh, that that is the kind of thing that people might actually get like treatment for. So it is. A, it's very much a real thing, and there are light clinics, and it kind of the story actually starts off in one of these light clinics, and that's kind of where uh, we get introduced to the world, and things start to go uh, belly up. Yes. And the the conflict begins. Exactly. Does anyone on your team, uh, you or anyone else, have any direct knowledge of or, or relation with the coal mining industry? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, that, that's interesting. Not directly, uh, uh, but uh, I actually studied mining, uh, well, especially for kind of prepping for this film. And sure. There's even a feature film kind of version that we also have uh, in development and uh, we've been you know studying a lot about kind of mining and stuff for not only design elements but to uh, really give the story and the characters a lot of authenticity when yes. we uh, you know figure out kind of what's motivating them and how their world totally works you know my grandfather actually worked in the, the steel industry mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, well but, that's... Uh, that, that was the closest I got to it in recent generations of mining well, I think you capture that. Give us some idea of how you dealt with the challenges of creating a dark world. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously everything, the resources we had as independent film makers were, you know, limited yes. to say the least, especially yes. for what we were trying to do. So the challenges were plentiful. Yes, but in terms of shooting a world that, you know, was supposed to be underground and completely dark, the first thing that we did was decide to shoot the whole thing at night. Mm -hmm. um, and so that means that, or that meant that our shoot, because we did do uh, some exterior shoots, uh, but they were actually at this old uh, textile factory that had yeah. since been turned, or long ago, been turned just into a place where people can go and shoot, you know, scenes that need kind of a, set that matched what we were doing. Sure. So we, we went there and we shot from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., six days straight. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of, actually, the cast and crew had day jobs, if you can believe it. Um, so, so some people were, uh, yeah, like the guy who did our lighting would sleep in the parking lot for two hours before we, we shoot. And then, you know, so the idea was, because uh, we built basically this dome digitally that we put a city in underground yes and uh, we wanted to make it match as much 
much and realistically as possible. Uh, but then, you know, sometimes when we'd be filming, like a plane or something would fly by nearby. Yes. yes. And, you know, it'd be like, oh, there's not going to be a plane underground in yeah. the city. Um, <laughs> so there were definitely, uh, you know, mm-hmm. issues with uh, trying to do what we were doing that we had to kind of work around. So that was definitely a big factor. Yeah, and then uh, for, you know, there's a lot of also uh, visual effects and stuff. So we then did uh, have a day shoot where we shot on a green screen. I think people were grateful for that because it's more normal hours. Yes. And daylight. No. Yeah, exactly. Get rid of that work. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I am fascinated, and I mean that in the most empathetic way, that one could catch rickets still, and, and you're right. It's the lack of vitamin D. It really is yeah. that simple. And, of course, for the yeah. long hours you had to put in, uh, were there any other sort of precautions just for, I don't know, health? Uh... Oh, yeah, I mean, as far as like health is concerned, especially when, uh, I mean, mental health is also a thing. Yes. At some point, it, it's a combination of, you know, a sprint and a kind of marathon where mm. it's about, you know, staying on, the po- on point for such a long period of time. And yes. like I said, it took, you know, over two years for us to do it in mm. almost, Two of those, so it took maybe over two and a half years total, but two of those years were all post-production. Uh-huh, and that was, um, you know, mostly because there were so many the effects. And again, we didn't have the resources, and usually you need a team to do all of that stuff. Sure. Uh, so we just, uh, it was more about us committing time. Mm-hmm. And that can really start, uh, you know, eating away at you um, when uh, emotionally and physically, when mm-hmm. you know you're working on something for so long, you want to kind of reap the benefits or see the results or even be able to show the people who worked on it. Yes, yes. And you can, so you can, it's easy to get, uh, you know, kind of sad about that um, and start questioning your existence and everything that you're doing. And then from like an actual physical standpoint, you know, there are lots of uh, sleepless nights mm. uh, because I actually be working and then other nights where I was just super worried about it all. Yeah. And that compounds over time to the point where the rest of your Did you lose, uh, in in another sense of the word time, did you lose from day to day or a week of of shooting, did you lose a a sort of anchor to time as real time? Am am I being clear? In other words... Yes, yes, I absolutely did. That's what's so bizarre about it. Time starts moving differently. You know, you're working on it, it could feel like it's a year long, and it's, you know, only a week or something, and then the next week passes and you can't believe it was the same amount of time yeah um because yeah it, it you know it's really bizarre but also it's really bizarre um you know like when you're on set and you're having to move so fast because uh you need a lot of setup to you know yes. such such amount of time you're so focused that time can actually fly by too because there's no time to think about time right Exactly. If that makes sense. Yes. Uh, or, I mean, you're always thinking about time, but not in the sense of, you know, getting to actually process it and evaluate it. It's more like, you know, oh, you have five minutes to get this go. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Wow. So you, you really created uh, your own dark world. I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm being funny, but I'm, <laughs> but at the same time, um, 
but you created it and you lived at some time for a period of time, 12 hours a day in it, racing the clock. Um, wow, that's kind of a apocalyptic too, if you, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. Yeah, we did feel like, you know, the story in a lot of ways was, uh, or, you know, the film was definitely kind of mirroring what was going on in our real lives. And part of that uh, was intentional in the sense that it, the story's about uh, essentially an underdog who goes up against, you know, this overwhelming force. Yes. And uh, that's what we really felt like we were doing because we were this, you know, independent crew, a lot of novice people, a lot of also really experienced people believe in novice people. But um, we did feel like we were trying to tackle something that was a little bit, you know, of a reach in a sense. and kind of ambitious so the fact that the main guy was undergoing something similar was encouraging mm-hmm. i felt to the cast and crew in a way because you know it was kind of the same battle that we were dealing with which was uh you know it's all uphill and it's, none of it's easy yes and uh, because basically we wanted to compound a feature film into like a major studio production value type deal into sure. 20 minutes and we wanted it to feel like you were getting kind of a, a full narrative in the sense that there was a real beginning middle and end you were just getting a piece of a greater story yes um but you really would ha- hopefully have the opportunity to feel satisfied and completed by the end and so there was, that did that in of itself obviously was very challenging uh, because it was asking a lot of everybody involved but uh i think that also made people excited and wanted to work on it too because it was an opportunity to collaborate and kind of go above and beyond what uh, most of us were maybe being asked to do when we were normally getting paid to work in film. Exactly. All right, this is grand. Uh, we are talking to Teddy Cecil, who is the writer-director of Helio, a 20-minute short visceral film centered on a underground society where miners work for light to survive. We're going to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Only Lovers Left Alive is not really a vampire movie because there's no shock, no horror. According to Jim Jaramouche, the film's writer and director, and a granddaddy in the indie world, it's a love story and character study. It is, but it's also a film with a luscious look and feel, full of subtle detail and nuanced social commentary. Jaramouche clearly has a jaundiced view of the current state of humanity. He sets his film in decadent Tangiers and also in modern Detroit, where decay suits the mood of a very tired vamp. Humans are called zombies by the vampire elite, but it's dangerous to feed on them because so much corruption has tarnished their blood. Pure blood procured for cash from corrupt medical techs is treasured for its sensual delights. Surprisingly, Only Lovers Left Alive is an intellectual exercise suffused in a sensual world. It's a personal observation by one who sees beauty in the margins, appreciates intellectual humor, and yearns to share the pain inflicted upon the esthete. 
No, this is not a driving vampire tale, but luscious vampire commentary. Only lovers left alive, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today, we were just chatting during the break about how quickly the first segment seemed to go because you just get so absorbed in Teddy Cecil's, uh, not only his film, it's a short film, Helio, but his description of it. And I asked him, I I just felt like uh, Helio gets into your, uh, it gets into your psyche, it gets into who you are, and then I wondered, well, which created which? The psyche, Teddy's psyche creating the film, Helio, or Helio creating this whatever we are seeing that is so... I mean, we've we've seen many films, big-budget films, what my wife calls boy movies with, uh, uh, you know, shoot-em-ups and the, the end of the world. and But this is different. It's different even in its premise. But I wonder if... Uh, is there a political... Uh, influence here. I feel that uh, there are segments of the wealthy class that are buying uh, water and even even renewable energy so that when and if ever oil runs out, they're going to be able to dominate the new industries. But light, man, Teddy, I never thought about light. So talk to us. How did you come up with that? In terms of you know what comes first, kind of the psyche or the story, yeah. um, it's definitely a big back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most stories have been told in one capacity or another before, so people are essentially retelling the things that uh, you know strike them. They're retelling them in different ways, which is where the kind of individuality of the artist or the storyteller might yes. kind of come into play. Um, so definitely, uh, they're you know, the story and kind of where I was coming from mentally and emotionally both played big factors in developing the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I think, been fascinated by light. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, even though, I, you know, it, that's a weird thing to say. I'm sure I think we're all probably fascinated by it in a certain way, and I haven't even necessarily acknowledged my fascination with it. But while I was actually making this film, I realized that at some point that... Uh, the first thing I ever did kind of really creatively that I was proud of was in kindergarten I wrote a book and it was, you know, it's basically a picture book. You write like one sentence and you draw a picture and you turn the page. Hmm. And the book was called The Book of Light and it was a description of all the different types of light that I knew, you know, like a flashlight wow. or um, light from a TV and things like that. So I think there's always been elements of that. I'm also very much uh, a nocturnal person uh, and part of that because I find it gives me the solitude I need to uh, be able to collect my thoughts and write and uh, be undisturbed. So there was very much a back and forth in terms of who I am and uh, what kind of story I want to make. Uh, And it developed very organically in that regard, actually. Um, Because I do a fair amount of writing, but this story in particular seemed like the right one for us to move on in terms of going into narrative, our own narrative. And uh, I think a lot of it was because of the personal connections that I had to the material. And mm-hmm. I've, also, also been, so I've also always been fascinated with skylines, city skylines. Yeah. That plays a 
the city uh, underground in this this large rooftop chase. And since it takes place at night, and they use these kind of booster boots, is what we would call them, these shoes yes. to jump from building to building. Uh, that kind of propel them. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, at least the policing force, and you know, a rebel essentially gets a hold of these boots. So one of these chases happening. Basically, the way that they even are able to traverse these buildings is uh, using a form of light to it. So, uh, you know, you see the flashes of light as they're going up and things like that. But it was very much always trying to figure out ways to play with light. Um, tell a story because I think that's very much what film is, um, story with light. Sure. Lights and pictures. Okay, from from kindergarten. That, that tells us a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, I didn't... <laughs> I realize that, you know, you also asked about the political element. Yes. Um, and I didn't get to talk about that. Um, you know, it's funny because there has been uh, a response in certain communities about what, uh, you know, what it could mean to them or what, uh, including their political outlooks and things like that. And uh, it is very much about, in a way, what you were mentioning, which is it does reflect on disparity. It's not so much a haves and haves not mm-hmm. in this it act, it ends up being that but you don't necessarily know that so it's more focused on the have not mm-hmm. and not the comparison to the haves because it's more just about figuring out kind of what we need to do to either help or break free of uh, the system that we're in I think also it, it points out something that is sad but true too often about uh, humanity and and responses to challenges and difficulties is that uh, no matter how bad things are, a certain hierarchy develops. Uh, you know, even in prison, you know, there are there's a, you know there are levels of who's who's on top and who isn't and so forth. But there is there is that too. That um, or maybe maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. But it seems to me that the those who are chasing the rebel who arguably starts the revolution are not that far removed from the protagonist they're chasing. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, is, that is definitely fair. And they are also uh, an extension to, you know, force that's chasing them, but an extension to the powers that be, you yes. know, trying to kind of make sure that he isn't successful with what he's trying to do. Um, which could ultimately cause some power or big power problems. And uh, by the end, you do literally see the hierarchy of their kind of system that's in place. Yes. And it's, you know, it's revealed, but uh, I I won't give that away. Exactly. (laughs) I I will say uh, one thing, though, one of the pursuers, which is a wonderful moment and use of light and, and the visual that is film, is the reaction that uh, one of the pursuers has? I'll be funny because you know what I'm talking about. Um, the, the, you know, the his moment in the sun, so to speak. Uh, uh, it uh, it said a lot, and yet here he is uh, trying to um, uh, keep everyone else away from the very thing that he so clearly needs himself. Right. Uh, we find ourselves like that. I. I think, but okay. Back to the film. Helio, uh, everyone. Yes, it just premiered in San Diego at the Comic-Con Independent Film Festival, July 2016. 
And there is a character. Uh, oh, you know what? Before we get to, to Barrett, how about the Shadow Council Productions? I find that yeah. very interesting. Talk to me about how I love that. I mean, I loved it when I read it. I went, okay, council. You know, that's yeah. a shadow council. Oh, yes, sir. Tell me. Um, so they created this company and uh, a few years ago, and uh, there's one other producer um, who I do with, uh, his name is Brett Miller, and, you know, we still work together, just finished another film, and uh, when we created the company, it was before we were thinking about doing Helio, um, mm-hmm. but again, it does reflect on, uh, you know, the interest we have with light, but the idea was um, we were kind of guys that people might come to to do their small productions and things like that, but we weren't ever supposed to be seen. It was about the people who were hiring us in their work, you know? So mm-hmm. we were kind of the people behind the scene that were running things. And in that regard, we were the shadow council. Um, uh-huh. So that's kind of where it comes from. In fact, legally a shadow council, the council spelled like legal council, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, a lawyer or an attorney that looks out for your best interest when, uh, they can't, when they can't be seen, like if your actual lawyer has been, uh, you know, compromised in some way, but you can't actually get rid of them because it might jeopardize your case, you mm. would get a shadow counsel that mm. is the one that actually is representing you without people knowing. And then beyond that, um, in Helio, it's actually uh, the city's run by groups of, or these councils, and ones like, you know, Council of Labor, um, and, you know, things like that. So um, it has played a lot into everything that we've been interested in, which was really strange to, you know, go into the project that we developed. But, you know, that was one reason why we decided to keep the name uh, yes. Shadow Council for our for future productions, uh, because it very much went along with everything that we were doing. And in fact, really, it also makes me think of the kind of people pulling the strings yes. in the allegory of the cave, Plato's. You know, Republic. Yes. And the reason for that is they're the ones that, you know, they, I don't know if you know the allegory, but there's a basically group of people who just see the world as shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another group of people who are actually controlling the shadows, so the first group isn't aware of them. They just are aware of the shadows they make. Um, so in that regard, uh, I kind of view it like the puppeteers. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, it's playing on all the themes that we've been <laughs> very much interested in at least with this film, that has been evident. Um, which, you know, it's, it's exciting, and our council's getting bigger, um, especially since that film. So we've been, you know, getting more people uh, to be part of the company mm-hmm. that are working with us. And, uh, it, you know, it's a nice thing to have this community kind of develop organically with people that you want to work with. Yes. So anybody out there listening should feel free to, you know, reach out to us and uh, touch base and, you know, see... Uh, Okay, that sounds good. I I, I have to say it, it's so um, multi-layered. This this just the name of the company. So many tributaries from your life as well as from anyone's perception of what that means. Shadow Council Productions. I when it, when I first saw it, I said oh, I've got to remember to ask him about that because it just it's like an onion, if you will. You know, you're just peeling back and peeling back and peeling back. <laughs> Uh, you know, even the puppeteers have puppeteers. Okay. Uh, right. right. <laughs> okay. 
But let's talk some something um, a bit about our um, our hero. How's that? Yeah. Uh, I was going to start off the interview, and I but then I, I hope I'm not giving away too much. I said it's Helio is about a masked man in the dark. Of course, it's about a lot more than that. But tell us about the actor Barrett James, and there's a whole lot going on with how he. Uh, visually and physically appears to us, I think. What do you think, since you created him? Yeah, um, that's a you know, really great question. So Bear James, uh, he plays the main guy, and uh, he's our protagonist, and really leads the production. He's in every sequence, and he's the only guy who is, and very much leading almost all the shots. Yes. He's a great, great talent. Um, so his character doesn't have any lines. There's very few lines in the movie, but yes. he doesn't speak at all. At all. That's right. So his whole thing was, you know, this emoting through his physical performance, and he did a really great job. Yes. Really great job with yes. that. But yeah, so part of it was developing this kind of interesting look for his character, and then, uh, you know, that built off of where his character come from and how he would live in a world like this. Uh, so he's got this kind of mask and that, uh, you know, but yeah, you know, again, without going into it too much, it was, uh, it was a great experience getting to work with him and develop his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, he's supposed to be more of an everyman, and I find the fact that he doesn't talk and is a little bit experiencing things and then reacting to them. I feel like he's very much uh, a viewer in that regard, yes. even though he's an active participant in the story and very much leading it. He's still like you know a member of the audience where they don't literally have a voice, but uh, at the same time you know he's taking things in and ultimately controlling things. So that was kind of one of the angles that we were we were going with with that. Um, but now you know I was really blown away by all the kind of emotional points that uh, Barrett was able to hit when we were going through the production. You know he's a real pro. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, because he's doing this again he's doing this without saying a word of dialogue you don't really because of the the production design you don't really as well as his his costume you don't really have a clear picture of who what he looks like as an individual which of course lends itself very well to the everyman but also as, as a hero he is I, I I don't think from what I saw he it isn't that he he plans on being a hero he responds uh, and and the situation and his response make him uh, it, there's a better word than hero I'm trying to think of it but I'm not coming up and I don't want to just call him the protagonist but the the situation in which he finds himself has surprises as well as the known. Uh, don't want to be Rumsfeld either, but the you know the unknowns and the knowns. But it's the way he responds that makes him what all of us hope we would be in a situation. Yeah, exactly. So take it from there. That's exactly right. <laughs> Very much the reluctant protagonist. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you know he's thrown into the situation, or a situation's thrown into him. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then he's, you know, he has to, he chooses to either deal with it or lose all that he knows. Yes. So uh, with that, that being not much of a choice, he 
goes against the grain and fights back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, he is forced to create all the change that needs to happen in order for his uh, story to go to its kind of natural conclusion. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so, it, it, again, it's very much fighting the odds, you know, doing what needs to be done, and uh, when the situation presents itself, uh, going against conflict. Exactly. I, I don't. I didn't get the impression. I, as I said, it's not like he. It's, he certainly wasn't happy with the situation, but it's not like he planned on right, exactly. Uh, exactly. It 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 the situation was heaped upon him, and then he responded, and then that ac- accelerates into more than we expect, and that's all we're going to say. <laughs> yeah, and it very much builds and escalates. Yes. and uh, his actions, other city that are similar in similar positions are also minors. Yes. They see what he's doing and that eventually he needs their help. They recognize that and they kind of all join together. Yes. And it's not necessarily that uh, you know concise, but uh, that's essentially what happens. Mm-hmm. Listen, and that's kind of how things work in real life. You know, we, exactly. we build on what that the momentum of uh, situation and current events. And we go from there as well we should, you know. We yes. should be very much reacting to what's going on around us, not just observing it. Exactly. Well, we have to go soon, and you did say if uh, people wanted to be involved. I know this is so good. People wanting to be involved, how do they get in touch with you then to do that? How do how do we find yeah. out more about the film? A few links, Facebook, all that. Tell us. Okay, yeah, great. So um, that's one of the good things about uh, this day and age is all of the social media outreach we able to do and, you know, finding the people that uh, actually the audience that's interested in what we're doing. Okay. So that, that's really huge. And uh, we, have, we have a website called heliothefilm.com, H-E-L-I-O, the film. Um, and then you can do that same thing for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all that jazz. So we'll be at Helio the Film. And you can also look up our production company, ShadowCouncil.com. Yes. And we're also on all the social media. And then me personally, Teddy Cecil, Teddy like the bear, Cecil like the lion. We're, uh, you can look me up on all the uh, social media as well. And I, I'd love to hear from you guys. You know, you can reach out directly on our website or, you know, friend us or do whatever you need to do. But yeah, that film's coming out. Uh, it's actually on video right now, so you can buy it mm-hmm. um, or rent it, I believe. But, uh, you know, I'd love to hear what anybody and everybody who gets a chance to see it thinks. Uh, just try not to be too uh, too harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid of the dark. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, we have been talking to Teddy Cecil, the writer, director, producer of Helio. The movie, short movie, visceral film, centered on uh, light for survival, among many, many other things. Uh, you, you, you need to see this one. I've had quite, as I told uh, Teddy between the uh, takes, uh, all of my questions come from from a place that his film has generated. It's it's kind of like uh, the character Barrett James plays. I am caught up in it and and responding accordingly. Okay, but we uh, thank That's you great. so much. Thank you, Teddy, and thank you so much, Teddy Cecil, for being 
on the show today. We wish you all the very best and uh, looking forward to seeing uh, all of the film, okay? Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, this means the world, really. I love being here and uh, I love, you know, answering any question that I could. And feel free, uh, anybody out there, to ask me any more questions. Very good. There you go. All right, Teddy, you take care, and we'll be talking. Bye now. Bye. Stay with us, as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In the world most of us live in, we face plenty of challenges. Broken families, financial hardship, unexpected pregnancies, and all manner of complex events. Imagine experiencing these difficulties in a foreign country without money, barely able to speak the language, and with no safety net. Entre Nos is a bare-bones picture. There is little backstory. Soon after immigrating to New York from Colombia, Mariana is deserted by her no-good husband left behind to fend for herself and her two young children. This is the story of her desperate struggle to survive in a strange land. Thankfully, there is triumph in the end. The film was written and directed by Mariana's real-life daughter as a tribute to the mom who had the strength and the will to make her family survive. An especially poignant scene will sear the soul and not soon be forgotten. Imagine watching your starving children tear apart an empty bag of Cheetos to lick the dust from the crevices. Then imagine having to apologize to them for conditions not in your control, for a life you cannot change, for the poverty into which they were born. Entre Nos is far better experienced on film than in life. Independent film, where the real stories are told. You can find us on the web at www.indiefilmminute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Robin Hood, Saint, King, Trump. An obstructionist Congress, politicized Supreme Court, and Donald Trump campaign are antithetical to let freedom ring. The 2016 Republican Party, more a portrait of white supremacy than Lincoln Memorial. August 28, 1774, Saint Elizabeth, Mother Seton of Emmitsburg, Maryland, was born in New York City. In 1963, the American Dream was embellished on the steps of Marian Anderson Herstory. On August 18, 2012, residents of villages in Florida cheered as Paul Ryan promised to protect their Medicare by sacrificing that of their children and grandchildren. Shall we now think beyond such short-sightedness and instead generate billions of dollars every year with a 0.5% tax on the transactions of the wolves of Wall Street and save an American economy barely escaping the slaughterhouse of representatives? Who's mining the store while a destitute fourth estate races to pass go first, brandishing overdrawn breaking news exclusives for a free media giveaway to the waffling showmanship of a bankruptor-in-chief wannabe whose only currency is the dividend of the morally insolvent? 
Don't we want our children to aspire to be more like Melinda and Bill Gates and 9-11 first responders than those CEOs both breaking our system and breaking our goal for a nation of equal economic opportunity? Or shall we leave millennials to be gouged by the likes of EpiPen CEO Heather Bresch, Martin Scarelli, Bernie Madoff, and Jack Ambermoff? An exceptional example by which to lead our children would be supporting business leaders whose companies, products, and policies are not a footprint on consumers, but a step forward for the common good. It's not just who we give our vote, but to whom we give our money. Perhaps if the Roberts Court lit our path as well as the torch of our French gift, the Statue of Liberty, we the people would nurture more the example of the French High Court within us, rather than allowing our electoral system to languish in the shadow of a recession bequeathed to us by cokeheads leading institutions like Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Shell Oil, Exxon, Halliburton, and Aetna. What and how can we lead our leaders if the American do-the-right-thing reflects French beach bigots who share individual freedom only when it exposes their preferred attire? Conservatives allowing too-big-to-jail banker puppeteers who plummeted America's retirement bankrolls by trading global stability for national sequester compounded the problem, banking on a Congress of walled-in minds that hedged Wall Street fun with Panama accounts that increase right imbalance, while depositing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and our kids' piggy banks into foreclosure. If we want freedom to be more than a part-time enterprise full of income inconsistencies slanted toward 0.1% of the population, we're going to have to artfully stem tutor our children to ensure our marketplace better than we did. Together we are strong enough to rekindle a freedom reigning. So, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. If we outvote those who self-righteously cap freedom of choice at the border of their limited vision, this is the time to help others to register to vote, educate all on the supreme importance of voting, and progressively occupy all voting booths. Merely labeling anti-American negatives like Alt-Right, Citizens United, David Duke, the John Birch Society, the Ku Klux Klan, late-in-life penitents, West Virginia Senator Robert C. Byrd, and Alabama Governor George Wallace, and then proclaiming it either victory or solution, is as risky as exposing oneself to E. coli and Ebola, as criminal as serving hepatitis A strawberries in smoothies, and as negligent as Congress failing to fund Zika prevention. This is no time to talk of democratic landslides. The sun sets on a nation when its people fail to shine the light forward for its children. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.